Hello and welcome to episode Alfie of the Cost Per Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Joining me today is the co-host of That's What She Said and writer for Silver 7 Sends, Michaela Schreider. Michaela, how's it going? I'm doing great, Trevor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So uh, I'm excited to get you on the show for the first podcast of uh, 2017. And it's the first one I've, I think it's the first one I've done in about three weeks. So um, how about let's uh, just get right into it. Sounds good. All right. So uh, I'm not sure how much you of the World, World Junior Championships you watched, but the Sens prospect at the tournament were the talk of the town, especially Thomas Shabbat. Uh, what do you think of their their prospects, uh, the prospects' performances from the Sens players? I, they were phenomenal. It's funny, you know, leading up to this season and even throughout the beginning of the season, there weren't a whole lot of great things to say about the Sens prospect pool, it, nope. in, mostly in part because we just hadn't really seen much of them. You know, Thomas Shabbat, Colin White, even like Jonathan Dalen, I didn't, he wasn't even on my radar until the, uh, the World Juniors. So to see all of these young players have such great performances on the international stage, and and for so many different teams, you know, not just with Team Canada, who you know gets the the most coverage, I think was really um, positive for Sens fans. I mean, Thomas Shabbat, ten points in seven games. Uh, he won best defenseman. He had most goals, assists, and points by a defenseman. Uh, on top of, of course, taking home the silver silver medal with Canada. Th- there aren't a whole lot of bad things you can say about Shabbat's performances, and I, and I think that Sens fans should be very very excited because there's a good chance we might see him in a Sens uniform sooner rather than later. Uh, and, of course, Colin White, who had eight points in seven games, took home gold with Team USA, was arguably one of their most effective players uh, throughout the tournament. Uh, you know, it just there were so many great things that for Sens fans to take away from this tournament. And the fact that TSN was actively discussing how great the Sens prospects across the board are doing throughout the tournament, I think speaks volumes to how good they actually were. Yeah, exactly. I think it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of Sens Homer fans saying, oh, these guys are really great and stuff. I honestly believe that was probably one of the best showings, if not the best showings from Sens prospects at the at the World Juniors. And, you know, whenever we talk about the World Juniors, we have to always take this with a grain of salt because, I mean, it is just, an, you know, six, seven game tournament. So it's not a huge sample. But of course. The, the fact that all these analysts were saying that, you know, how well the center's prospects were playing was really um, really encouraging and obviously Thomas Shabbat he was I mean he won the best uh, best defenseman in the tournament so that's that's fantastic but it wasn't just him I mean you mentioned White and Dolan they played uh, phenomenal as well and even like Philip Schlopik Klopik however you pronounce it and uh, Philip <laughs> All as well like they were, they were pretty good too so it's not like it was just hinging on one or two guys I mean they had five pretty solid players uh, so like you mentioned before uh definitely really encouraging to see and bring some positivity to to some senators fans for sure and and like you said you know it is a, a pretty short tournament in the grand scheme of things we've seen curtis lazar captain team canada for example and right. it hasn't exactly worked out yet so you're right it, it's not always something that we can put too much weight behind but i think you know out of these five players there's at least a couple of them who who it's realistic to think are going to be con- very good contributing members of the sentence in the future yeah and and i think it's also really awesome to see that you know there's all these leafs media guys that you know fawning over neilander marner and matthews this season you see them having to talk about how good thomas shabbat and colin white are and finally you know it's on us so that uh yeah that definitely felt nice (laughs) 
Oh, definitely. I think we've all we've heard enough about the bright future of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, there's certainly uh, discussion around that that's warranted. But it, you know, Sens fans do often feel that we get the short end of the stick when it comes to national broadcasting. Totally. And I, I think it was very gratifying this World Junior Tournament for Sens fans. Yeah, definitely a positive experience all the way around. So uh, moving on to the NHL team right now. Over the past week or so, the reality has sort of began to, begun to set in that the Leafs actually have to have a real shot to make the playoffs, and Battle of Ontario Round 5 isn't impossible right now. So are you either A, scared, B, excited, or C, both for the that potential matchup? I'm going to go with C, both, but I, I rotate between the two. If you had asked me a week ago, I would have said I was terrified of another uh, Sens-Leafs matchup in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think back to like... I think the last time they won was what 2004 i was I believe, 13 yeah. years old and i <laughs> dreaded going to school the next day like th- there's always that one leaf fan in your school who was going to be just insufferable oh, the yeah. next day after a playoff loss right and I, i'm like i can't do that again as an adult i can't i can't function after the <laughs> beat us again but at the same time you know it, it has been since 2004 since these teams met in the playoffs since really it's been years since either of them have been competitive. And I think that, that the Sens and Leafs meeting in the playoffs would do wonders to the rivalry, which has kind of waned in recent years. There are, there are young kids who grew up, either Sens or Leaf fans, not really understanding the origin of this rivalry because they were maybe two or three the last time they met in the playoffs. So um, I think it would be monumental, not only just for young uh, fans to kind of rekindle the rivalry for them, but also for, for fans like us who grew up with this rivalry and and saw it kind of decline how exciting would it be to to feel that again because there's no there's no hatred like sends hatred from leaf fans or leaf hatred from sends fans yeah. and i think that if we could rekindle that in any way it would just be so exciting yeah i think you're you're definitely going to see in the next few years the um the battle of ontario ramp up again and it, it's interesting because you mentioned i guess the last playoff series i guess it was 04 correct between the two yes yeah so i mean yeah. at that point i was eight years old and like i you know i was one of those kids that didn't really i i sort of followed hockey at that point but i wasn't you know super into it uh following it every day and stuff but it's it's also funny that you mentioned that uh there'll be kids at school uh dreading going to school and the funny thing is that i got into hockey like a lot more i i really like the centers more because there was another kid at school who was a huge Leafs fan and so i remember in that 0506 season that was when i really started to follow them and that was the year that ottawa they swept the season series or no actually i think they went seven and one against the leafs that year and they just you know <laughs> won like eight nothing and like seven one and stuff like that so that was that was nice uh getting to rub it in his face every day but uh oh, I, I guess bet. and that's a good point because like your your <laughs> fandom was almost built on uh sticking it to the Leafs, it was right? or, it totally yeah. was and that speaks that just speaks volumes to how strong this rivalry was and how much it sucks that it really isn't uh that strong anymore so i think that if we could get back to even close to that level like even to be where Sens fans and Montreal fans are right now with the Leafs again I think would be awesome it would, it would suck oh, yeah. but it would be awesome <laughs> I, I, have, I have no doubt that it will get to that even if we don't um see each other in, in the playoffs in the next few years like you just I, I mean I, I think it's impossible that the Leafs aren't going to make it like I, I really do think they're going to be good I 
they might not make the playoffs this year, but if not this year, the next year, or the year after, something like that. And same with the Senators. It, it looks like they should be at least a decent team for the next little, little while here. So, and I'll be putting out this podcast tomorrow on Saturday. So people will be listening to this, you know, either before the the Leafs game tomorrow or after the Leafs game. And I think this is probably the biggest game between the Sens and Leafs probably since before the 0405 lockout, wouldn't you say? I, I yeah, completely agree. It has it has merit in the standings. Both teams are well, Sens are narrowly holding on to a playoff spot right now. The Leafs yeah. are just two points behind them. Like this this means something and we're getting into the point of the season where you know yes every game is valuable but now you know those two points you really need them if you're going to make a playoff push and it's it's awesome when you see Saturday night games between Ottawa and Toronto actually mean something again and you're right the the Leafs are going to be very good going forward there's no reason to think that the Sens won't at least be playoff contenders in the next couple of years so that rivalry is going to start to heat up and I think it's just going to be so exciting yeah definitely it um I don't know if I could take a playoff series this uh, this spring, though, or, I mean, I guess any spring moving Ugh. forward, just because, man, Twitter would just be an absolute garbage, you know, like a dumpster fire. It would just, yeah. I don't know if I'd be I able to handle have to that, honestly. Twitter if we lost, we'd have to just leave Twitter yep. for two weeks and, and yeah. let it figure itself out. But on the other hand, to, to be a little bit of an optimist, if we won, imagine how good that would feel to finally oh, exactly. slay that dragon. Right. Yeah, that's the, the thing. It's, the it's like it's a huge difference between winning and losing. I mean, like that's why I'm just I'm just scared about yeah. the possibility of facing them. I mean, it would be amazing. It would it would feel as good as beating the the Habs in in 2013. But at the same time, it was it was just sort of embarrassing losing losing to them, even though we were the lower seed in uh, 2015. It was just the complete opposite. I just you know felt awful during that whole series and. I didn't oh, really yeah. want to go on Twitter, so and if we if we played the Leafs, it'd probably be much worse than that, honestly. Oh yeah, I, I completely agree, and and it's crazy to think that like Chris Neal, for example, was a you know such a huge part of the team in the early two thousands that was facing the Leafs, and he could potentially be yeah. facing Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who <laughs> were like six or seven years old last time these teams met oh, in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. It's crazy to think how far it's come and, and how much of a gap it's been, but. Uh, yeah, I as a Sens fan, I, I I do hope that we see these teams meet in the playoffs again, but I'm not too sure how I'll be when that time actually comes. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna wanna, you know, watch by myself and like have nobody else in the house because I might be, go insane. But you know, unless they win. <laughs> yeah, then it's fine. Then everybody can come over. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um, one of the more interesting players on this team right now is uh, Curtis Lazar just because he's a former first-round pick and lots of people still have high expectations for him. However, he hasn't recorded a point since last spring, since last season. Zero points in 20 games so far. Um, people are still going to still gonna defend him, though. Do you think he still has some value either on the Senators or as trade bait? I don't know. It's, it's getting harder and harder to argue for Curtis Lazar. Like you said, he's got zero points in 20 games. It's almost getting to like a Scott Gomez level of when will he score in Montreal. Yeah, somebody needs um, to set up a website. You wait for it. It'll happen. Yeah. Um, it, I want to say that the organization still has faith in him because they're still using him quite a bit. I mean, yeah, they sent him back down to the AHL earlier in the season, but you know, he's played 20 games this season. He's still a regular uh, member 
of the Ottawa Senators, I think they still have faith that he'll either turn it around or that there's trade there's a trade market for him. You know, maybe there's a reason why they're playing him so much because there are teams who are interested. I don't know what teams are looking at his stat line and going, yeah, we want that guy. Uh, I think that fans will jump to defend him because he's a likable guy. You know, he's always smiling. People people want to believe that he'll turn it around. But how long did we say that about Jared Cowan, for example? And I'm, and yeah. I'm not saying I've, I've necessarily thrown Curtis Lazar under the bus and I don't believe in him anymore, but Jared Cowan kind of ruined me for for <laughs> prospects to like have faith in for too long. I think we're also seeing that with Cody Cece, where like you can only have blind faith in a player for so long. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um... I don't know if I want to get on get on um, CC talk right now just because <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel like I've exhausted that topic. But <laughs> anyway, with, with Lazar, you're totally right. I mean, I think a huge reason why people still have faith in him just subconsciously or, or you know, out in the open is the fact that he is a likable guy. I mean, if, if he was literally the exact same player, had the exact same stats, but he was Russian and, you know, sort of had a different personality – I don't think anybody would would like him or not necessarily not like him but they would just have a lot less faith in him and um I like I don't know he's just his performance in in the NHL to date has just not warranted you know like I I just can't see him end up ending up being a top 6 player and even like a third line I mean mate like maybe he's a fourth line player but I mean you still got to put up a bit of points I mean at least give us like you know 25 points or something like that Oh yeah, exactly. Like he's not even serving the role of a bottom six forward at this point. And the, you know, the bottom six um, for the Sens in general has been a bit of a letdown. But Lazar is kind of the cornerstone of that that letdown because you, you're expecting him to score when our top six is being bogged down by competition, and he's he's just not getting those um, those uh, backup points or those depth points that we really need. And I've often wondered like. Why not give him the Zach Smith treatment and play him with Stone for a shift or two just to see what Mark Stone can bring out in him? But at the same time, then you've got to mess with the Zach Smith-Mark Stone chemistry uh, with Derek Broussard that we've seen for the last uh, few weeks or so, and you don't want to mess with that chemistry. So I don't know what the solution is for Lazar, but they need to change something. If they're going to trade him, they need to make him look more appetizing. Uh, but also, if they're going to even hope to have him be a quality depth player, something's got to change. Yeah, I mean, it's just really unfortunate because Ottawa's right-wing depth chart is not good at all. I mean, it's it's Mark Stone, Bobby Ryan, and then Curtis Lazar is right there, or or Tom Pyatt. And, and neither of those guys have been good bottom six players at all. So it's it's we're relying a lot on Lazar. And, you know, even if he just had, if he was on pace, like I said, for 25 points or something, that's that that'd be totally fine I guess if he's a, on the third or fourth line but he's not even doing that and I remember when Eric Condra was let go um, a couple summers ago and people were saying oh well it's, it's not a big deal because Pajot and Lazar uh, had some good chemistry down the stretch and you know we just haven't seen that they haven't well pa- Pajot is, has been you know not as bad as Lazar or anything but uh, yeah people thought Lazar would be good third line player right now he just he just hasn't uh hasn't done that and i you know he, he'll probably be exposed in the expansion draft he's probably not going to be taken there so but yeah you mentioned I, I do wonder what they'd be able to get for him probably not much at this at this point which is uh kind of not great um but we'll see where it goes yeah and and the eric condra 
point is a really good one because Lazar was at his best when he was playing with Eric Condra. So yep. I don't think I mean a lot of a lot of fans were pretty upset to see Condra go because I, I think a lot of people knew that the effect of Condra leaving would be much more monumental than you know losing a third line player would seemingly be and I'll totally admit that I was kind of in the camp of I thought Curtis Lazar could step in and play that role that Eric Condra played of that energetic third line player but evidently he needed Condra to be that right so we just haven't seen that from him yet yeah just one more thing on Lazar do you have any faith or even do you think there are people out there that think he can actually still be a top six forward I think there are definitely people out there who believe that because there are people out there who also believe that Cody Cece is going to be the next Chris Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, there are definitely people who think that. I'm not one of them. I I don't know whether it's that the Sens have botched his development or maybe this is just the player Curtis Cesar is, but I, I think that the days of hoping that he's going to be a top six forward for the Sens anyway are are slipping away and I would say are long gone. I think the best case scenario for Lazar on this team is to be an Eric Condra, to be a, a a good depth player and a contributing third or fourth line guy. That's the best case scenario at this point. Yeah, and and that's sort of sad that our expectations have so fallen pretty far. I mean, first it was second line guy and then it was okay, third line guy. Now it's sort of like hoping maybe he can be that third line guy. So, um Yeah. I don't have a ton of like, faith in please him. Please put up a point or something. <laughs> exactly. I, it's funny seeing like all the tweets from the media guys and uh, for the Senators saying, you know, like, oh, this is the night that Curtis Lazar is going to get his first goal this year. And, you know, every night he just he just hasn't gotten it. So it's, uh, no, it's bound to happen so at some close point. The other night, but uh, just you can't get it done. No, it's unfortunate. Um, okay, so moving forward, uh, something that the team will be monitoring closely is the health of Clark MacArthur. He, he might be back around early to mid-February, it seems, but concussions are just totally random, so nobody really knows. What do you think about him potentially returning, or do you think he'll return at all and stay healthy? I I would love to see MacArthur return, no matter what. I mean, I think that he's still, at least the last time we saw him, he was still a valuable member to our top six, or at the very least, if we, if we were going to start him off slow, he could fix the bottom six. A very uh, good for third a time liner, being. yeah. Very good third liner, exactly. My only hope with MacArthur is that if he does come back, that he's 100% ready to and not putting his health or his future at risk to, yeah. to come back and play because he's he's pretty open about the fact that he really wants to come back. He's been pretty optimistic from day one. But, I mean, if he were entered training camp in the position he was this year where a, a hit like we saw in in a scrimmage could do this much damage, then, you know, you have to worry about how is this guy's health going forward. And just for his own benefit, and you know, put the team aside, put hockey aside, I hope that if he is coming back that he's ready to and he's not risking his future. I know. A lot of people seem to be <clears throat> just saying, okay, well, when MacArthur is back, our top six is going to be fine, all that stuff. But... I don't know. I they're really. Uh, I don't think people totally understand how fragile his body seems. And like, I, I believe he's had three concussions uh, in the past couple seasons. So I mean, if he gets a fourth, that's you really shouldn't be playing sports if you've had four concussions. So no. you're right. Like that, just that one hit in scrimmage, um, you know, has knocked him out for this long. Uh, even la- even last season. He knocked, knocked him out for the the entire year. Uh, the hit from Mark Fraser, 
So even if he does come back, I do worry just every time he's going to be out there, I'm going to be watching him, uh, you know, half half closing my eyes, hoping that he doesn't get nailed by Dustin Bufflin or something like that. Um, exactly. But, like, you know, if he does... That if he does actually play and he plays well, he's a huge addition to the center's lineup. Cause then all of a sudden you got four pretty good left wingers with Hoffman Smith, um, the single and, and MacArthur down there. But uh, yeah, he's just the fragility of his body worries me. And like you said, I, I hope he's not risking his future health just so he can play in the last 20 games or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, and you also have to think, like, we haven't seen him for almost a, a year. Yeah. Like, if he comes back in late January or early been more February, than a like, year. Has it? Has it? I can't yeah, even he, remember. Yeah, because he played four games at the beginning of uh, 2015-16. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's been a year and a half Like, almost. that's – even to, to say that he's going to – like, I, you know, like I said, the, the player we saw last time we saw him was a very good top six player – but we are we even going to get that is yeah. another question. And yeah, like you said, he's going to be so fragile that you have to, you know, that's the NHL. You're going to get a hit from Bufflin. You're going to get a hit from from big guys, you know, in the middle of the ice, and you got to be ready to take that. And if MacArthur is anywhere near the state he was in training camp, he's not going to be able to, and it's just too much of a risk at that point. Yeah, and I found it interesting, um, even heading into this season, before MacArthur got his – um, his most recent concussion people even then were taking it for granted saying oh like MacArthur will be back but I was saying you know like he missed almost pretty much the entire season last year it's not a given that he comes back and and sure enough all, all it took was one hit to derail him which which really sucks I mean he he's probably one of the most likable forwards on the team just his his personality but also he just he does a lot of things well he's he's pretty underappreciated I think around the league even though he's like you know, 50-point guy. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many points he averages per season, but it seems like he's around there every single year. So, um, yeah, it'd be a very welcomed return, but I certainly wouldn't count on it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's not – even if he does come back, it's we don't know what kind of player we're getting, and it's, it's not looking good at this point, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, speaking of gaining another player – how do you think the Senators are going to approach this trade deadline coming up? That it, that's an interesting question because I think a lot of people would say that their defense needs improvement, and I would tend mm-hmm. to agree with them. But something we talked about on Silver Seven this week was the fact that they can't really bring in a key piece at defense because the way the expansion draft is set up, they have to protect Carlson yeah. and Phaneuf, and then you know obviously they want to protect Mathot, so they don't have a lot of space to protect a guy. So you're not going to spend a lot be it in in getting rid of a player to bring in another piece on defense just to have him leave potentially leave in the expansion draft so as much as I'd love to see them do something on defense I don't think it's likely something that I do think that they need major improvement on and I don't think would cost them too much is their bottom six like we mentioned Lazar and Peugeot and Kelly really aren't scoring at the rate that you would expect you know quality depth players to score at and I think that we could use a player or two who could fill in that third and fourth line role and, and provide some secondary scoring, which we just haven't been getting. The Sens haven't been getting this year. Um, so I think that that would be like a low risk move, wouldn't cost them too much. And then also if we lost the player at the trade, at the expansion draft, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, um, definitely the expansion draft totally complicates things. I mean, we, we haven't seen anything like this since uh, the early 2000s um, with the last expansion draft. And also just the fact that 
they can't really bring in a huge salary because if they're bringing that in, they got to send one out. So it seems like a bottom six forward or maybe two. I I mean, I, I would say one max just because just because of the budget. Um, mm-hmm. I think one is a possibility and it it would be a guy maybe one one to one point five million dollars in on a cap hit. Um, it was encouraging to see that they did put a claim on former Sharks forward Matt Nieto. So I mean, he he would have been pretty good on on the third or fourth line for the Senators. Just uh, had some pretty bad luck with the Sharks this year. He and they, I believe in 2013-14 he had like I don't know almost 30 points or something in 65 games. So he's a decent player. Uh, definitely an upgrade over like Tom Pyatt and and Curtis Lazar right now. But yeah, I don't even think there is much you can do, especially on defense. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that, and this is probably something that's not going to happen, it might just be pie in the sky, but you know, with all the discussion around Bobby Ryan and his struggles, do you think the Sens have even a glimmer of hope to move that contract? I I heard something through the grapevine that they're sort of, team, teams were looking at him, Um and and one one of the names I can't remember who it was somebody brought up Francois Beauchemin. Um it might have been Yost actually. Um, he he brought up Beauchemin as potential return like swapping swapping bad contracts. Uh, that would be interesting. Beauchemin is pretty terrible right now, although he yeah. does have a shorter um, I believe only has one season left after this year. So I don't know. I mean they they would definitely have to take a bad contract back. Maybe not as bad of a contract. And I mean, really, if they moved him, they wouldn't be getting much at all. Um, if anything, they might be getting into a worse situation. Um, and then plus, you know, then then you got an even bigger hole on that right side, on the right wing. So just because they probably want to make the play, well, no, they obviously want to make the playoffs this year. I really doubt they move Ryan, and just you know, pray Vegas takes him in the exp- expansion draft. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think that that contract, not only is it impossible to move, but I don't think what you're getting back is going to be what the potential of Bobby Ryan is. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even, I'm definitely not a high guy on Bobby Ryan, but <laughs> that that would be a, a, a loss to the team up front, and then you'd have to look at acquiring somebody else. Uh, what do you think about Gabe Landeskog, though? You think that's realistic at all? I would absolutely love to see it because back in 2011 I thought for sure the Sens were going to tank properly oh, too, and yeah. get Landis Gog first overall so Craig Anderson I mean, ruined that though I know <laughs> damn you Anderson for being so good um it I mean it, you know it would be awesome to see Landis Gog you know uh, come to the Sens I think he would obviously be a huge addition to our top six but at the same time what would you have to give up for him yeah and Pro- probably I, I White or Shabbat one of them yeah yeah and I mean, on the one hand, you know, prospects are prospects and you never know where what they're going to turn into. So would it be worth sacrificing one of the two? Maybe. Um, but at the same time, you know, is it guaranteed that Landeskog is going to be able to kind of turn things around given the, the bad luck that Colorado has had? Would the Sens really be that much of an upgrade for him to, to, to come in and, and, you know, all of a sudden be an all-star again? So, I, you know, I'd love to see it. At the same time, I, I don't know what it would cost. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. Um, it'd probably be one of those two guys and a first and, like, maybe something else. Like, maybe even CeCe. They're probably looking for a defenseman. So, it would probably be quite a bit. Um, I don't I don't think I would do that. But definitely a name to um, watch out for. I think 
I really don't expect them to do much this deadline, especially the wild card is in this is what we mentioned before about MacArthur coming back. Because if he comes back, they're probably going to treat that like a deadline acquisition. Um, and if he doesn't, or maybe even if he does, I, I'll probably bet they get, you know, or and sort of hope they get a fourth line guy off waivers or something, or just some really cheap guy who's not amazing, just sort of is another body, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, but also I was, I was going to mention, um, as long as they make some improvements in the summer, just because that'll be after the expansion draft, um, you know, if they head going into next season with like the same defense core, the same bottom six, that isn't really good, then I'll complain. But, you know, I'm not really expecting too much going into the playoffs because I don't really think they're going to go deep or anything. Yeah, and like you said, the expansion draft just creates such a an enigma of a situation that we don't really know. You know, the sends the management's hands are tied, and they yep. can't really do too much. So, like like you said, once the expansion draft happens and we get through next off season, you know, the team will have a better idea of what it can and cannot do with its roster. Yeah, pretty much. Um, definitely uh, will be interesting though. The next uh, next I guess month and a half or so. So let's move on to something that's created a, a bit of a division amongst Senators fans, the Zach Smith extension talks. So some seem to think he's worth, you know, $4 million plus and he can score 25 goals again. And some think he's a terrible grinder. Um, but for some reason, there's no real middle ground, it seems like, with a lot of, a lot of fans, out, uh, fans out there. So how do you view Smith and his impending free agency? Well, I actually kind of sit somewhere in the middle ground because I was looking at Zach Smith's numbers last night and yeah, he you know, last year when he scored 25 goals, his shooting percentage was like 20%, not sustainable at yeah. all. This year, he's on the same he's on pace for the same number of points. He's on pace for about 37 points. He got 36 last year. So, you know, you know, we're not going to see 25 goals out of him, but he might get close to 20, but his shooting percentage is a much more manageable like 12%, I think. So, I think that he's probably likely to score 35 to 40 points all said and done. I don't think that's worth $4 million a year, not even by a long shot. If you look at the players who score consistently in and around 35 to 40 points, they're making between 2 and $3 million a year. Um, Zach Smith right now is making, I think, 2.35 or something like that with a cap hit of about 1.8. So I can see him getting a little bit of a raise if they do decide to sign him, maybe 2.5. I, I think 3 would even be a little bit too much just because we don't know if we're going to get this Zach Smith next year it really depends on who he plays with and I think that because he is playing so well and he's had two very good seasons should things continue to go the way they are right now you know his trade value has never been higher so why not look at what you can get in moving him right I mean like he yeah he, he's still a, a valuable member of the team and would you be getting something back that's going to give you the same value I don't know but I mean you're never going to see Zach Smith with a higher trade value so I think that that's something that Sen should at least explore that's true I I definitely would want them to to at least see what the options are out there I we I would bet my house that they don't actually trade Smith though just because they're not going to do that going in into the playoffs but it might be smart if they can get a decent you know a decent forward or even a decent prospect uh coming back the other way but you know smith he might i I have no idea what he's going to ask for um let's say he might be worth you know three million dollars or whatever 
But the thing is, like, Ottawa's got to be really careful here just because they can't be committing too much to a guy who's, you know, best suited for the third line. Uh, you know, he's a guy that when he plays with Mark Stone, obviously he he puts up some points, and that's, you know, that's understandable. Stone makes everybody better. Um, so he can sort of flip-flop between that second and third line, but he's better suited on that third line. And for a team that has, you know, a pretty tight budget, I really don't want to see them spending tons of money on a guy who's who's playing, you know, 15 minutes a night. And, and I, think, I think Smith is a pretty decent player. I think he's... A lot of people sort of just saw him as a fourth-line grinder a few years ago, myself included. Um, but, you know, he, he has some value. But at the same time, I really don't want to be giving big money and, you know, three or four or even five years to this guy, especially when they got contracts like Ryan and Phaneuf on the books. So it wouldn't be the end of the world if they – even if they lost him for nothing, it wouldn't be – you know, they can replace him. But – um yeah, they're, they're probably not going to trade him, and I would bet they re-sign him. I just really, really hope it's it's not a huge burden on the cap. Exactly, especially when, you know, like you mentioned, we've got Phaneuf and Ryan making almost $15 million a year combined, oh, and then God. you've got that, Eric Carlson. That, that sentence just sounds so awful oh, when you say it out loud. I know, right? When you think, I think there's like $25 million that the Sens have between four players, three of whom are on defense. Oh, God. Like, that's... <laughs> That's awful. And then you think about it, like Eric Carlson, our cap, the Sens captain and the one of the best defensemen in the league, is making six point five million dollars. Should Zach Smith really be making four? That's true. Yeah. Like just to put things in perspective, I I really don't like. I, I completely agree. The Sens are they need to be careful with how they spend their money. And four million dollars on a third line player is just not is not smart spending. That being said. There's nothing to make me believe that the Sens won't do it. That's yeah, I know that's totally true. I mean, I really hope it's not another Colin Greening situation because you oh, know, I know. Gre- Greening was totally reliant on Spezza. Uh, I guess you could say the same with with Smith and Stone. Although Smith has a bit more um, obvious skills and and he's a good penalty killer as he showed last or I guess for the listeners two nights ago against Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting and. Man, I can just I don't know about you, but every time he scores, I just hate Twitter because everybody <laughs> is either like celebrating saying how amazing he is or everybody's saying like I don't know, it just it it just always has a huge divide between fans and it, it's just so annoying. Yeah, it's almost like if Borbieski scores, everybody yeah. jumps all over it saying, "Oh, what a, you know, what a character guy and what a yeah. clutch goal blah, blah blah." And you know, I have nothing against Zach Smith. I think he is a He's a decent player, and he's usually filled a role that the Sens needed him to, and he just happens to be having really good chemistry with Stone. And yep. I hope that the Sens recognize that, and that's all it is. Um, but, yeah, I uh, I really don't want to see the Sens pay, overpay him and then have a Colin Greening situation where they have to make a big trade just to move the contract. Yeah, exactly. It'll, uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what Dorian just does. Just in general this summer, um, he's definitely got some uh... – some tough moves to do so lastly let's touch on a subject that's specifically intended for eugene melnick and the marketing department of the senators so eugene if you're listening listen up please the uh (laughs) the new jerseys have been discussed a lot recently and there's been some rumors that ottawa might have a tweak uh to their current jerseys for the uh when the adidas uh set or whatever you call them come in 
Plus, we know the Heritage O's won't be used as well as all the other third jerseys around the league for next season. Um, but what do you want to see the Senators do with their main jerseys in the future? Yeah, I know they're not going to do anything next year, but I would really, really love to see the Heritage jerseys become the the first jerseys or the, their yeah, main same. jerseys. I, I love those jerseys. They're so good looking. How can you, I don't know how you can't like them. I, I know, right? They, they've got heritage to them i mean i hate to use that cliche word but you know they have the barber pole look that the original franchise had so there's history there they they're like they're symmetrical which our main logo is not um and that kind of drives me nuts sometimes but they're just they're they're really classic simple jerseys that i i think they this the team should definitely use full-time and I think a lot of fans like yourself feel the same way, right? Like a lot of people don't like the Centurion logo and, and that jersey. So I think that the marketing department has to be aware at this point that fans want to change. I also think we might see a heritage style jersey at some point next year, even just for the outdoor game. Yeah, I'm sure we um, will. Which would be nice. But yeah, I think that maybe after next year, they might want to look at making those heritage jerseys uh, their full-time. Just on sales alone, they have to recognize that people love these jerseys. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look around the rink, and, uh, you know, when I went to the, when the Sens came here to Vancouver when they, uh, in October, I guess, you know, every fan is wearing the the heritage O's. I got, I got the Carlson jersey, the, the black heritage O. Tons of people had that one. Um, I'm assuming you would want the the white, the white ones as the uh, away jerseys as well. Yeah, like the Heritage Classic jerseys. Yeah, like like those yeah. are just awesome, and they really are. You're right. Like it, it's just super simple. Uh, you know, nothing fancy to it. And I think, I guess, me and you are, or actually, I don't know how you feel about it, but at least I'm in the minority in thinking that the uh the old 2d sends logo isn't that great because i feel like a lot of people are you know in love of it in love with it and there's uh, been some redesigns of that jersey but i don't i mean it's better than the ones we have right now but i don't even really love love those ones yeah i i kind of sit in the middle with them i do like them i like them better than the current yeah. 3d logo um at the same time they remind me of the 90s and I think that if we went with, if the Sens went with them full time, it would just kind of look not not so much vintage as just old, like not even old in a cool way, just old. Yeah. Um, so I think that you know, as much as I do like that logo a little bit better than what we have now, and a lot of fans tend to to favor it a little bit. I I don't think it's this direction you want to go in. You never really want to take a step back when it comes to logos, and I think that. You know, if they're going to stay with the Centurion going forward, then stay with it. But I, I think that if they're going to change it, it should be to something like the the Heritage O. Even though I know that would open us up to tons of jokes about, oh, it's the number <laughs> of cups the Sens have won or something. Uh, yeah. But then we just have to win a cup so they can stop saying that. Yeah. Well, I think even if they did change it to the to the old two D one, I think it would sell so much better than their current ones. Um, and really, I've seen about three or four designs. Um, from fans online and I think if if they went with any of those they'd get tons more money so I, I really don't understand why Melnick hasn't uh, I mean I don't I guess it's you know sort of the whole organization's decision not just his but you'd think they'd make lots of money from this so I mean I really hope they they come to their senses and give what this the fans want to us really yeah I agree I think they are listening and I think that big changes like this are not taken lightly. I, I, I work in marketing and I know how slow 
things can move in corporations with yeah. this stuff because you know they never want to make drastic change but i i do believe that they're probably they're definitely listening and they're probably looking at what this change might look like because if they put the process in place now we we still won't see it happen for another couple of years but something tells me that th- th- it is something they will explore i definitely hope so um okay so before we wrap wrap this up michaela let the listeners know where they can find you online and what kind of work you'll be doing moving forward Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Shrides, S-C-H-R-E-I-D-S, because no one ever knows how to spell that. (laughs) Uh, I also, like you said, I host a weekly radio show on TSN 1200 called That's What She Said. You can find it at tsn1200.ca. And I write for Silver 7 Sends along with uh, The Ice Garden, which is uh, SB Nation's women's hockey blog. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, you can expect me to write a little bit more. for that going forward, um, I just found out like 20 minutes ago that Haley Wickenheiser just retired. So right. you could probably expect a very emotional article from me on that <laughs> subject very soon. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where I am online. That's awesome. I'll uh, keep an eye out for that. All right. Thanks for having me, Trevor. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. That was a lot of fun. No problem. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. So, quick reminder that the Cost Per Pointcast is available for download and streaming on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like the show, here's a neat little idea. Rate it on iTunes. Or better yet, tell a fellow Sense friend about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles and my colleagues' articles at silver 7 Sens. I'll most likely have one more episode in January, so look out for that. However, if you subscribe on iTunes, you get it right away. Don't even have to wait for the blog post. Highly recommend doing that. Anyways, that's all for me today, folks. Adios.